0: I ask you now, if you would, to open your Bibles to Romans chapter 1. We have been going through the Gospel of Luke, but today I'd like to give you something a little different. And of course, the thought went through my mind to preach something about sticking together as a church I thought about going to Exodus thirty-two. How many? Oh, dying out. Exodus chapter thirty-two. That's where Moses goes away for a few days, and remember, Aaron ends up making that golden calf. I thought, ooh, that 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 might be appropriate. God said no. And then I thought, Lord, what about number sixteen? How many of you know that chapter? Number sixteen: Korah, Dathan, and Abiram. Leading a mutiny against Moses and Aaron. Guys, let's shut it all. Everything else is it off now. Okay. And I, I thought, well, maybe that might be appropriate. I thought, now, Lord, wouldn't it fit? Lord said, no, don't, don't preach on a mutiny. We don't need that. And then I thought, well, what about Acts chapter 20? You know Acts chapter 20? That's where Paul gathered the Ephesian elders in that church and he's saying goodbye. And, but you see there at the end of that chapter, he says, I'll never see your face again. And I, I thought, uh, that's not quite what the plan is. So I said, Lord, let me take all my ideas and plans and throw them aside. What would you like for me to preach? And he brought my attention to this passage this morning. Romans chapter 1. And we'll begin reading at verse number 9. Paul writes here, For God is my witness, whom I serve with my spirit in the gospel of His Son. If I can, bring special attention to that. I serve with my Spirit, everything within me, in the Gospel of His Son, that without ceasing I make mention of you always in my prayers, making request if by any means now at length I might have a prosperous journey by the will of God to come unto you. For I long to see you that I may impart unto you some spiritual gift To the end ye may be established, that is, that I may be comforted together with you by the mutual faith both of you and me. Now I would not have you ignorant, brethren, that oftentimes I purposed to come unto you, but was let hitherto, means he was hindered, that I might have some fruit among you also, even as among other Gentiles. We are going to study verses 14, 15, 16 in just a moment, but can we pause there and let's have a word of prayer together. Father, we thank You for this opportunity today to open the Word of God. Thank You, Lord, for the singing. Thank You for the the specialness of this day. Lord, above all, as You've done so many times, we ask now that You'd meet with us. Please, Lord, take me out of the way. Fill me with Your Spirit. And might You speak to these people Saved or lost, whatever the situation is, might you get a hold of our hearts today? And we ask it in Jesus' name, Amen. And as you can see on your outline, I have named this sermon "Gospelly Defined." I didn't know that "gospelly" was a word. I thought I made it up, and then when I typed it in, it didn't give me the spell check, and I thought "gospelly" is a word, <laughs> and it actually is "gospelly defined." You're going to see in verses 14, 15, 16, just look quickly with me, I am debtor, verse 15, I am ready, verse 16, I am not ashamed. There are some things that defined the Apostle Paul. And everything that he mentions is connected to the Gospel. You can see it from verse number 9, I serve with My Spirit in the Gospel of His Son. So these are some definitional statements. I don't know if anybody's ever asked you these kind of esoteric questions, but people will say, you know, who are you? Say, well, I'm, I'm Mike. No, 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 not your name. Who are you? So well, um, I'm, I'm a missionary. No, 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 not what do you do? Who are you? I'm a Christian. No, 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 not your religious affiliation. Who are you? I'm a husband. I'm a dad. I'm a man. No, 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 no. Not, not, not your gender or your familial role. Who are you? That's right about the time that I want to slap them. <laughs> Ask a better question if you don't like my answers. What do you mean by who are you? There are so many ways that you can answer that question. Right, so I'm going to sidestep all the philosophical stuff to that. When it came to the Apostle Paul and somebody says, who are you? Then he says, I am. I am and I am not. He is giving us some statements that define himself. And each one of these statements are connected to the gospel. So as you can see on your outline, just underneath the text, I've put this one question there. How would you describe your intentions concerning the gospel? How do you feel about the gospel? Ma'am? Sir, how do you feel about the Gospel? I'm, I'm asking now. You obviously, don't want you to answer out loud, but in your heart, how do you view your responsibility as it pertains to the Gospel towards other people? What are your goals and intentions for the next week, month, or year as it pertains to the Gospel? Regardless of how much you've thought about it up until now, I want you to walk away with this thought today The gospel is going to affect my life one way or the other. Now it's up to you what kind of an effect it's going to have. And Paul allowed the gospel to define him. And I hope today that it also defines not just you as an individual, but us as a church. So let's talk about three things today. Verses uh, 14, 15, and 16 will give us our three points. Point number one. Paul says, I am debtor. Now we would, in updated English, say, I am a debtor. We'd put that article in there. I am a debtor. But I am debtor. I think this speaks to his attitude. So you can write there, attitude in point one. His attitude towards the Gospel and towards the people around him. I am debtor both to the Greeks and to the barbarians, both to the wise and to the unwise. I don't know if any of you have seen that movie, My Big Fat Greek Wedding. Anybody seen that? I, I love the old man in that wedding. He, he's just hilarious. He recently passed away. I don't know if you know that. But he, he, uh, he has a, a great line in that movie where he's talking to his daughter. You know, they're very, very Greek. Everything is Greek. And he says, Tula, there are two kinds of people in this world. Greeks and everybody who wishes they were Greeks. <laughs> and then as I was studying for this sermon, I saw it in verse 14. There's Greeks and then there's barbarians. There's Greeks and then there's everybody else that wishes they were Greek. <laughs> I've been waiting all week to point that out to you. I found that some, some very deep... Not, it's not a spiritual truth, but it's a great truth. <laughs> Paul, as the apostle to the Gentiles, he could have developed a bit of a swollen head. He could have lorded... Over God's heritage and went everywhere bragging. Look at how much God's used me and how much He's taught me. And, you know, He showed me all the mysteries of the faith and I've written so many books of the Bible. And he could have come across like that, but that wasn't his attitude. Paul had this attitude of humility and he understood that I am what I am because God graciously worked in my life, He didn't owe me this. God doesn't owe you all of the attention and love and grace and mercy. He doesn't owe you that, but He did it. And Paul, he never forgot that even though he had a high calling from God, he viewed himself in this position of a servant. I've given you a verse on your outline there. Mark chapter 9, verse 35. Jesus is speaking to the twelve and He says to them, If any man desire to be first, the same shall be last of all, and servant of all i think that properly defines what paul is telling us here i'm a servant of everyone i owe a debt whether it's greek barbarian wise or unwise now the greeks they were known for being very civilized right they were kind of that high class of the day and then the barbarians literally non-greek uncivilized uncouth so paul says whether you're the top upper class kind of guy or you're the lower class kind of guy? What, what's a yalla? Komen. Komen. He says it doesn't matter. If you're up there, yalla's net Komen. I'm preaching the Gospel to you. It doesn't matter if you're... Why is that funny? Is, is the common thing... Did I say a bad word? My last day in South Africa and I said it, oh, I hope I didn't say a bad word. I, this is why you don't want to learn the language from people that are dodgy, right? <laughs> people teach you these words. You're like, really? Uh, really? Okay. Then he says both to the wise and to the unwise, whether you're educated or non-educated. You get what Paul's saying. It doesn't matter what your status is in life. It doesn't matter how much money you make, how much education you have. It doesn't matter if you have a prefix to your name, doctor this or professor that. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter what your skin color is. It doesn't matter what your age is. It doesn't matter what your gender is. You need to hear the Gospel. Paul said in another place, to the weak I became as weak that I might gain the weak. I made all things to all men so that by all means I might save some. All things to all men. Whatever I have to do. Now where did he get this attitude? What led to this? It's a little ironic actually. Look at the verse. Greeks, barbarians. What did they ever add to Paul's life? Just from what you know of Paul, what did they ever add to his life that would make an eternal difference? Or even a positive difference? Nothing. Nothing. The wise and the unwise. When did they ever do something for Paul and Paul says, Wow, thank you so much. You went out of your way to do this and it changed my life forever and now I owe you. None of them. There's only one person that stepped into Paul's life and literally turned his world upside down. Just changed him completely. When he was on that road to Damascus, On his way to kill, persecute, and arrest Christians. And Jesus showed up and arrested him. Grabbed his attention and said, Paul, or Saul, rather, why persecutest thou me? It's hard for you to kick against the pricks. You know I've been working in your life. You know I've been trying to get your attention. Today, Paul, I want you. I want you to come to me. I want you to to learn here at my feet. And when Paul walked away from that conversation, he, the last thing he said was, Lord, what wilt Thou have me to do? He walked away with a servant's attitude. Jesus changed him and He knew, I owe him everything. He has purchased me with His blood. He's the one that made the difference in my life that no one else could make. I owe him everything. I owe him a debt that I will never be able to pay. Isn't that the same for all of us? the difference that He's made in my life, the changes He's made in me, the hope that I have for the future, the family that I have, the church that I have, the friends that I have, the knowledge that I have, the bed that I sleep on, the sleep that happens on that bed. He has made every bit of it possible. I owe everything to Him. Now how can I ever pay Him back? The answer to that is I can't. I cannot pay Him back. Not directly. So you know what Paul did? He said, since I can't pay him back, I'm going to take that debt that I owe and I'm going to go tell everybody what Jesus did for me. And that, I'm going to pay the debt back, but not to him, I'll pay it back to Greeks, barbarians, wise, unwise, because the Jesus that saved me, the Jesus that changed me, He can change anybody. He can fix anybody's family, can fix their job, He can fix their attitude. He can fix the way that they approach life. He can fix how they wake up and how they lay down. Every part of it. And because of what He's done for me, I owe it to Him to tell the world how much God loves them. And He set about with this attitude, I'll do anything. I'll become all things to all men so that by all means I might save some. His attitude towards the Gospel was I owe a debt and for the rest of my life I'll be busy paying it. I think of this story in the Old Testament. You remember when Joseph was thrown into prison and he'd been there a little while and then the baker and the butler of Pharaoh. remember that? When they went into the prison with him and one night the baker and the butler have dreams and they don't know what to do with these dreams. And Joseph says, uh, I know a thing or two about dreams. I've had a few of those in my life. Let me hear them. Let me see what, uh, what I can do for you here. And the butler starts off and he says, well, I had this dream and you know, and this and that happened. And, and Joseph said, well, I'll tell you what that means. That means in three days you're going to be released. You're going to be welcomed back into Pharaoh's home. You're going to be welcomed back to your job. That, you're going to have the position of cupbearer again. Listen, everything's going to be pretty good for you. And then Joseph made this incredible request. He says, but think on me when it shall be well with thee. And show kindness, I pray thee, unto me. And make mention of me unto Pharaoh. And bring me out of this house. You know, he had one request. Joseph gave that butler hope in a hopeless situation. And he said, you're going to make it out of this. But do me just one favor. This is all I'm asking. You don't owe me any money. You could never do for me what I just did for you. But I'm asking you one thing. When you see Pharaoh, just mention me. Just talk about me to somebody else. One of the saddest verses in the Bible is at the end of that chapter. It says that when the butler got released, he did not remember Joseph but forgot him. And I find it difficult to read that passage without thinking about how we treat the Lord Jesus Christ. He says, listen, bring your heartache, bring, bring your confusion to me. Let me make sense of it. I'll die and three days later I'll be resurrected. Just give me three days and I can change everything. You accept the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Christ and that can turn your life around. It is the power of God unto salvation. And he says, listen, I'm going to do for you something that no one else ever could. No one else could offer a sinless sacrifice For you, Because everyone has their own sins. It took a sinless man, and there's only been one of them ever. And that one sinless man, thank God, the Lord come down in the flesh, says, I'll give myself in your place. I'll pay for your sins. He says, you'll never be able to repay me. You'll never be able to do what I've done for you, but I'm asking one thing. After I've saved you, after you're brought out from the bondage of your sin, just do one thing for me. Mention me to somebody else. That's the debt you owe. That's how you repay Joseph for the kindness he showed you when you were in the prison of your sin. It's the one thing he asks. Before I left Malawi, you see, I've been, I've been through this in a small way before, but when I left Malawi, it was goodbye forever. Of course, I've gone back to visit, but... I had so many Malawians come and shake my hand and hug me and say, Pastor, thank you so much for coming to this country and for helping us with this and that. I said, you owe me one debt. One thing I ask of you, the things that Jesus has taught you, the things that the Lord has done in your life, now go tell somebody else what He's done for you. That's all I ask. This week, I get a message from Pastor Ashbad saying, I'm going to this village where there's three churches. I'm going to that church, uh, village where there's three other churches, six different churches he's going to visit in the matter of a week. And all of these churches are still going because the one person told the next person that told the next person, here's what Jesus did for me. You can tell the ones that really do appreciate what the Lord has done because they keep talking about it. It's that attitude of, I am a debtor. I understand and appreciate as much as a human can what the Lord's done for me. And therefore, I'm going to mention Him to someone else. In verse 15, He says, So, so as a result of the right attitude, I'm a debtor. So, verse 15, As much as in me is... I like that humility there. As much as in me is, I am Ready. I am ready to preach the Gospel to you that are at Rome also. So point two, I am ready. You can write down aptitude. Aptitude. A-P-T. Aptitude. I've given you a verse on your outline to help you understand the word aptitude. In 2 Timothy 2, verse 24, Paul wrote, And the servant of the Lord must not strive, but be gentle unto all men, apt to teach... Patient, apt to teach, it means he's, he's suited for it. He's able to do it. He has a tendency towards that thing, right? Some people are, you know, they, as they grow up, you can see that they, good, they have good hand-eye coordination. They might be good for cricket or rugby. And then you see some other guy, he's good at math. You know, think he has a future in engineering or accounting, something like that. Paul says, I'm ready. That means I'm able. I'm prepared. A vessel meet for the Master's use, prepared unto every good work. I like what he says, as much as in me is, I'm as ready as I can be. I wonder today if you are ready, as much as you can be, right now to tell somebody else how to get saved. Are you ready? See, I'm not very apt. I'm not gifted in that way. But then can you try to learn? How many of you like this? You get up in the morning. How many of you get up out of bed and go straight to work? I wonder if anybody will admit this. You you don't comb your hair, brush your teeth, no breakfast. You just get up and go. Anybody like that? Thank God. Okay. You, You get ready, don't you? You get ready. Some people it takes a little longer to get ready. Husbands, quit elbowing your wives now. you like, yeah. I don't understand it. Whenever I tell my family, hey, let's, let's go out. Let's go eat. Let's go to the mall. Yeah, I know you're laughing. My wife's laughing now. She knows, she knows what's coming next. She, she made her way into the sermon today. I say, let's go. Okay, coming now. I'm I'm out there in the car. I got the car. I've literally. I pull the car out the gate, shut the gate. I got. I'm in the road, waiting. And then you know the ladies come trotting out. What took you so long to get ready? I just had to get ready. What does that mean? Now maybe this is just me, right? Maybe I'm to blame here. But whenever I'm driving somewhere, I know when I'm getting close to being there, wherever there is. So as I'm getting close, I start to pack up. Any of you men like that? I start to pack up. I know I'm about to park the car, turn the key off. I need to take my phone. Nowadays, I've got to put a mask on. I'm ready to go. As soon as I get there, the car is off. I've got the doors unlocked. I'm out. Two seconds. Boom, boom, locked. Then I can walk into the business or wherever I'm going. Dun. I don't get it. I don't get it. I pull up. I shut the car off, I'm waiting outside the car, and and the ladies are still grabbing this and grabbing that, and oh, what about this, and fixing that. Woman, get ready before we get there. This isn't that hard. Get out the car. Some people, it just takes a little longer to get ready. Right? And that's okay. I mean, let, let's be honest. Who and, and that's why I said, maybe I'm to blame. Maybe I'm in too much of a hurry. Maybe I should slow down. I, I don't get it though. I mean, when I pull up, right, what am I going to do? Just sit there for 10 seconds and stare out the windscreen? I, <laughs> I don't understand. But maybe I'm going too fast. Maybe I need to slow down. Not everybody, right, is going to be ready just like that. Maybe today you're not ready to walk out of the room and immediately take a gospel track, find somebody on the street and say, let's talk about Jesus. Okay, Maybe you're not ready for that, but you still can take time to get ready. It might take you a few extra minutes. It might take you a few extra hours or maybe maybe four years of Bible school. It might take you five years of church. It might take you a little bit of time to get ready, but you can develop an aptitude. You can develop a tendency... To do something. You can train yourself so that it becomes natural. Now I I do say though, verse 14 leads to verse 15. If you have the right attitude about it and say, listen, I'm saved, I owe Him a debt, I must tell somebody about Jesus. I don't have a choice. I owe a debt and I've got to pay it. He did so much for me, how could I ever stay quiet about Him? He is the most important thing in anybody's life, whether they know it or not. I've got to tell somebody. I can't stay quiet. I've got this fire burning in my bones. And if I, don't, if I don't have a release valve, I'm going to explode. i just got to tell somebody. You have that attitude, you'll develop the aptitude. You'll train yourself and learn how to do it. Can I ask you to hold your place in Romans? just Next book over, 1 Corinthians 9. Verse number 16. First Corinthians 9, verse 16. Paul says, here, "For though I preach the gospel, I have nothing to glory of." In other words, when I pre- I, I'm not going to brag and go, "Hey, look at me, I'm preaching the gospel. Isn't this something great?" Why? For necessity is laid upon me. I have to do it. Christian, listen here. You have to do it. it. It's not optional. We make it optional, but it's not optional. You have been divinely tasked by God with the Word and the ministry of reconciliation. You are an ambassador for Christ. Whether you, if you're saved, you're an ambassador. Now, whether or not you're a good one, That depends on how ready you are to preach the gospel. He says in verse 16, For necessity is laid upon me, yea, woe is unto me if I preach not the gospel. If I don't fulfill my God-given responsibility of sharing the gospel with someone else, I'm going to be miserable. And I deserve to be punished. That's what woe is. (laughs) Paul says, how dare I not tell someone else how to be saved? In verse 17... For if I do this thing willingly, I have a reward. So this is the judgment seat of Christ. The Lord will reward him because He did it willingly. But if against my will, a dispensation of the Gospel is committed unto me. Notice Paul's two options. I am going to preach the Gospel. That's not an option. right? I'm going to preach the Gospel. I'm either going to do it willingly or against my will. But I owe a debt. And therefore... I'll do whatever it takes to get ready as much as in me is if I need to learn a little more if I need to practice if I need to go to somebody else and watch them do it so that I can learn how to do it as much as in me is I will keep adding to myself learning how to do it because it must be done he had the right attitude it led to the right aptitude In season, out of season. Paul's attitude is, I'm going to preach the Word. I'm ready. Are you ready? If somebody came to you today and said, Please, sir, ma'am, I just have a few hours left. The doctor said I'm not going to last much longer. Please tell me, how can I go to heaven when I die? Do you know what to say? Are you ready? After I got saved, my pastor... He started taking Christina and I out on the streets every night. Passing out gospel tracts two or three hours a night. Listen, we were newlyweds. Five days after we got married, the pastor knocked on our door. We got saved shortly thereafter. We just went out trying to tell people about the Lord. We didn't know what to do. We watched our pastor do it. Jesus said, follow me, I'll make you fishers of men. So now that concept is being used in my life. I'm following somebody that knows how to fish for men. We watch Brother Freddy every night. And so many of you have heard me talk about this. Even Brother Freddy had to sit us down and say, Listen, you guys are newlyweds. You need to go on a date. For six months, we didn't have a date. Now, I'm, I'm not recommending that, guys. Guys, take your wife on a date. right? I'm just saying, we were so excited about being saved, it didn't dawn on us that we needed to do something else. We were enjoying that time so much. And it brought us together in a, in a special way. So I took his advice. We went on a date one night. Remember that date, honey? We went on that date. We went up to the mall. And we were sitting there. We were looking, you know, having a nice dinner. We didn't know what to do. We just looked at each other. And she said, are you bored? Yeah, I'm bored. Are you bored? Yeah, I'm bored. What would you like to do? Let's go pass out tracks. Okay. <laughs> so we went out to a car park, started so passing out tracks. We felt a lot better after that. We, we were ready, willing. I'm going to give you this next illustration because lest you think, well, this is just something that a pastor does. Let me talk to you about what happened before I became a missionary. I went to Bible school. I had a full-time job. I worked no less than 40 hours a week, m- many times 50 plus. We had our first child in our first year of school. Our second child in our last year of school. So we have a brand new family, you know, kids in the house, full-time job, classes all night from 6 to 10. Every Saturday we had to go out on the street and do street work, preaching, handing out tracts. That was part of our Bible school. And then Sunday, all-day church. Now with all of that, I would be at home sometimes. and, and, And you can ask Christina afterwards. She didn't feel cheated. You know, it's been such a blessing to have her next to my side all these years because she has made it so easy to serve the Lord. So easy. When I would say, honey, I know I've been busy. We haven't seen each other a lot, but I made the most of every moment I was there. I'll tell you that. You know what I would do? I would head out 10 o'clock at night after class. I'd go to a car park all by myself and hand out tracts. On a Saturday night, you know, 6 p.m. After all the stuff of the day is done, I go to some place and look for people. Give them a track and try to talk to them about the Lord. I was ready. I was ready. I wanted. I I, I had no. Tr- I felt this pull on me that hey, I'm a debtor. I got to tell somebody. I was ready. Friend, today you are without excuse. Say, I'm not ready. What is it that you don't know what to say? You don't know how to start the conversation? Maybe you're worried, well, what if they ask me a question? We can fix all that. That's why we have a church. Is to teach you to do that. If I can speak very candidly just for a moment. If you've been in this church for four or five years and you're still not ready, come on now. You need to get ready. And if there's something that you're not understanding properly about how to do it, find me. Find one of these men that we spoke of earlier, these leaders, and say, take me out. Show me how to do it. Let me watch you as you do it. But make sure that you get ready, wherever you're at, to tell somebody about Christ. Let's come back to Romans chapter 1. Pastor, I don't have time. You don't understand. I got a full-time job and I got a full-time family and I got bills to pay. And you know, when we were in Bible school, I had a full-time job and I had a full-time family and I, I took Christina on dates and I spent time with the kids and and we had problems. Our cars broke down. We didn't have money for a mechanic. I don't know nothing about cars. I'm horrible with cars horrible. I learned how to do... I I changed the transmission, put new brake lines in, brake pads in, changed all that stuff. Learned how to do all that by myself because we had no money. And through it all still found a way to make time to go out and hand out tracts and look for people to get saved. I say that so that in case you were hanging on to one of those excuses, well, you know, I just got... Okay, Maybe you got some reasons, and then there are some legitimate things that come up, but somewhere, somewhere in your life, you need to do this on purpose. That brings us to the last point, verse 16. I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believeth, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. Paul says, I'm not ashamed. I'm not embarrassed to talk about it. Now, this part about not being ashamed, it can actually be understood two ways. I'm not embarrassed to bring him up. But you can also understand it as, I know I won't be disappointed. So when I do bring it up, I know it's going to work. So I'm not ashamed. I mean, these two things go together. (laughs) I can say, number one, I'm not ashamed to mention him because, well, I have a decision, right? Am I going to fear man instead of God? But then also, I'm not afraid to talk about it because I know it's going to work for everybody that believes it. And I know that there are multiple reasons why people don't try to evangelize. Maybe they don't see the need in it. And if that's the case, I refer you back to point number one. You're a debtor. Just look at what Christ has done in your life. Don't you think that He needs to do that in somebody else's life? So hopefully you see the need in it. Number two, maybe you're embarrassed and not quite sure how to do it. and Maybe you're afraid you'll make a mess. You're not ready. So I, I would refer you back to point number two. Take whatever steps are necessary to get ready. I've given you a verse on your paper there. Exodus 4 verse 12. You remember when Moses is being called by God to go and lead the nation and... You know, he gives multiple excuses why he can't. And his last one was, but God, I'm not eloquent. I don't know how to speak that well. And God told him, now therefore go, and I will be with thy mouth and teach thee what thou shalt say. He said, I'll get you ready. You just go go start doing it, and I'll teach you as you go. So maybe you don't see the urgency. Maybe you're not ready. But maybe it's not a preparation problem. Maybe it's a pride problem. We see in verse 16 that the gospel of Christ is the power of God unto salvation. So here we have a bit of a a fight going on, if you will. The power of God versus public opinion. Which one do you think is stronger? We would like to say the power of God, but how often does public opinion win that battle in our lives? I'm not ashamed, Paul says. When we speak to the power of the Gospel to change a life, I think maybe you've heard me speak of this before, but I'm going to give you an unlikely illustration. I'm sure you know the name Charles Darwin. In 1832, he boarded the HMS Beagle and set out on that voyage in search of reasons to believe in evolution and that type of thing trying to support his theories. He met a people called the Fuegians. When he got to this island, this is what he had to say. He said, they were the most abject and miserable creatures I anywhere beheld. uh, He said, these poor wretches were stunted in their growth, their hideous faces bedaubed with white paint, their skins filthy and greasy, their hair entangled, their voices discordant, and their gestures violent. In other words, they couldn't speak to each other. They just, (laughs) that kind of thing. That's how they were acting. He said, viewing such men, one can hardly make oneself believe that they are fellow creatures and inhabitants of the same world. Darwin had actually thought that he found the missing link. That's what he told his co-workers at that time. His shipmates. He said, I think I've found the evidence between beast and human. There they are. A few years later, missionaries went to that island and began to evangelize. Some years went past, and then Darwin got word of what was happening on that island. When Darwin heard what had happened there, he wrote a letter to the South American Missionary Society. He said, I certainly should have predicted that not all the missionaries in the world could have done what has been done. It is most wonderful and shames me as I always prophesied utter failure. He said nothing could help those Fuegians. It is a grand success. I shall feel proud if your committee think fit to elect me as an honorary member of your society. And Charles Darwin, till the day he died, was an honorary member of the South American Missionary Society and donated money towards it every month of his life. Because he saw the power of God through the Gospel to change somebody's life. Now, if Charles Darwin can walk away saying, I know it works. You won't be disappointed. I've seen the power of it. How is it that we would dare say that we're ashamed to speak up about it? I'm worried about what people might think of me. My friends and family, it might cost me a relationship. It might cost me some respect from my peers. Yes, maybe small price to pay. One of my heroes was a young lady named Sisley Orms. Again, if you've been in the church, you've heard me speak of her before. At the age of 32, the most incredible experience, she watched two of her friends burned alive at the stake because they were believers in Christ. This is back in the 1500's, mind you, when the Romans, Ruled the world. Am I there now? The then known world. Right after she saw her friends burned alive, she made comment to somebody else to say, I drink of the same cup that they do. In other words, I don't take communion at the Catholic Church, the Nachmah. I'm with those guys. Somebody heard that and reported her to the police, to the authorities. The bishop called her in for inquisition. And said, Is this true? And she said, Yes. I I do not believe in the Pope and in the power of the Catholic Church. I believe in the gospel. I believe in the power of Christ to save and stood against what they were doing. They inquired further. They had some counsel among themselves and they decided because Mrs. Orms is, in their minds, not a very swift woman, she's not very clever. They said, what we'll do is grant her some mercy. Usually we would also have that person put to death for what they've said. But because she seems not to be all there, we will give her an option. You're allowed to go to whatever church you want to. But do not tell anybody how to be saved. Just stay quiet. Do you know how many people there are in the world today, right now, this morning, on Sunday morning, that took that deal They sold out to public opinion. Sure, I'll go to church. As long as you don't ask me to say anything. Sometimes people get nervous here. (laughs) Amen. They get nervous here. Oh boy, pastor thinks we ought to hand out tracts and talk to people about Jesus. Here he goes twisting our arm again. That ain't me. That's called the Holy Spirit. That's called the Holy Spirit. You oh, now, brother, my, be careful now. Don't, don't, don't appropriate your work to Him. I'm not. Jesus said, after that the Holy Ghost has come upon you, ye shall receive power to be witnesses unto Me. That's the work of the Holy Spirit that you're feeling to pull you out of your comfort zone into the world unashamed. I know it works. Even Darwin figured it out. Now, I've got to tell somebody how to be saved. I owe a debt that I'll never pay to him, so I'll pay it back to everyone else. And whatever I have to do to get ready, I'll do it. They said, Mrs. Orm or Miss Orms, rather, just go to any church you want, just stay quiet. She said, I'd rather die. I will not stay quiet. They sentenced her to death. They marched her down that path up to the site where they were going to execute her. When she got to the spot, she paused and they always would allow the person to be killed to address the crowd one last time. I've given you her last words on the paper in front of you. She said to the people, Good people, I believe in God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Ghost. Three persons and one God. This do I not, nor will I recant. But I recant utterly from the bottom of my heart the doings of the Pope of Rome and all His popish priests and shavelings. It's kind of a slang word they use for monks because they would shave their head. Remember, I have a little bit of hair here. call them shavelings. I utterly refuse and never will have to do with them again by God's grace. And good people, I would you should not think of me that I believe to be saved in that I offer myself here unto death for the Lord's cause. Do not think that... By me dying for Jesus, this is what gets me to heaven. That's not what saves me. She is about to die and she's making the gospel clear to everybody watching. In the crowd are a few friendly faces, but most of them are the enemies of the cross. Most of them do not believe like Miss Orms believed. She said, do not think that what I'm about to do saves me. She said, but I believe to be saved by the death and passion of Christ. That's His sufferings. And this, my death is, and I've underlined it for you, shall be a witness of my faith unto you all here present. She said, I want you to know, you're not saved by dying for Christ. You're saved because Christ died for you. And I stand here as a witness. There she is. Last moments of her life, unashamed, preaching the gospel. She says here in the end, Good people, as many of, of you as believe, as I believe, pray for me. At this, she turned, she walked towards the stake, and she rubbed her hand across it, and the soot from where other people had been burned, still on that stake. She had it on her hand, she wiped it on her dress she said welcome cross of christ she prayed shortly and again touched that stake and said welcome thou sweet cross of christ they tied her to the stake lit her on fire she held her hands up to heaven and as she burned to death she kept her hands in the air her eyes towards her lord until the fire literally burned the muscles and they shrank and then her arms Only then did they fall. Till the very end, stood unashamed for Christ. I'm asking you, point one, do you have the right attitude towards the gospel? Point two, do you have the aptitude? Do you have the tendency? Are you ready to preach it? Number three, are you ashamed? Paul said, I'm not. I am not ashamed. Are you ashamed? Or are you ready to tell somebody how they can be saved? Maybe you've noticed this morning I've put a lot of gospel tracks on the communion table in the front. These are what we call chick tracks. In each pack there are twenty five tracks. The founder Jack Chick of, of the one who originally drew these cartoon tracks, he had a big heart for missions. Guys, they send us 10,000 at a time for free. They wrote me a few weeks ago and said, are you ready for more tracks? We're getting a new building. So this address is not going to be good for very long. So I'm asking you, church, come and take as many tracks as you'd like. These are all the tracks we have. Come and take as many as you want. When you go to the store, hand one to to the checkout girl. When you're at the petrol station, give one to the guy pumping your gas. When you pass by somebody in the street, all you have to do is say, Hey, can I leave one with you? Can I give you something to read? See what you can do with the gospel over the next three months. Take these tracks and get ready to fish for men. Let's all stand, if you would, please. Let's have our heads bowed and eyes closed. Heads bowed, eyes closed. As the music plays softly. I'd like for you to picture something in your mind. I want you to look up at at Jesus. Now keep your eyes closed, but in your mind, just look up at Jesus hanging on the cross. You look up at him and he looks down at you. And he says, make sure you mention me. Don't forget me. Go tell someone about me. See, it's one thing when your pastor from the pulpit asks you to do it. But it's not your pastor asking you to do it. It's Jesus looking down and saying, Go ye into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. Now, as you look up to him, what will you say? Will you say, Lord, I'm not ready? Lord, I'm too embarrassed. Lord, I'm too busy. Lord, I don't see why I have to do it. Could you really tell him that? Wouldn't you look back up to him and say, Lord, whatever I have to do to fulfill that command, I'll do it. Friend, if you're here today and you've never accepted Jesus Christ as your Savior, We want you to know doesn't matter what you've done, doesn't matter what your background is, the blood of Jesus Christ can wash away all your sins. He can be part of your life, but he'll do it from within. And if you've never asked him to come into your heart today, I beg you, please. Let him in. Let him in. Then you'll see why we're so anxious and eager to tell others about him. But let him in. In just a moment I'm going to pray and close the service. We'll head off for the baptism. Can I just ask quickly, is there anybody here? Nobody's looking, so please this is private. But if you're here and you've never asked... Jesus to come into your heart to save you. Maybe you could just slip your hand up you put it right back down. All I'm going to do is pray for you. I'm not going to point you out. No one's going to embarrass you. Say, Pastor, pray for me. I've I've never done that. But I see my need. Anybody like that? Thank you. I appreciate that honesty. What a blessing. What a blessing. We owe a debt that we cannot pay because Jesus paid a debt that He did not owe. Father, thank You this morning for the honesty, the hands that went up. Please, God, work in those hearts. Let this be the day that Jesus enters in. Father, for the rest of us who have been saved, We ask that you please teach us, prepare us, work and stir in our hearts so that we are ready to preach the gospel to those that you bring across our paths. Thank you for the privilege of getting to talk about you to other people. Father, please have your hand upon this church. Use this church, God, please, to reach souls for Christ. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.